The views and opinions expressed on this podisode are solely those of the participants and do not reflect those of an unspecified yet peaceful government agency. We apologize for any mistakes we may have made which broke your heart. Assistant Directed. Okay, listener, we're back. And today I'm speaking with Kayla. How are you doing, Kayla? I'm doing great. Well, not that great, actually. Not that great. What's up? So, right now, we are currently sitting in a hotel room, and we are preparing for our departure from Indonesia. That's right, listener. We did get evacuated. So, COVID-19 is causing disruption around the world, and we're going home, and we're all pretty sad about it. Yeah, it's pretty devastating, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, it's not. In an effort to increase listenership, we have shifted genres a little bit, and we are now delving into true crime. So we're trying to get the numbers up from maybe two dozen up to... Three? Yeah, maybe three dozen, but a three baker's dozen is the dream. So we are going to talk about murder, but... Murder in Indonesia. And we're actually joined by two friends of the podcast today. Trum, who you might remember from our food episode. Great and episode. It was a pretty good one. And Ziad, how are y'all doing? Same, kind of same boat as Kayla. Really hard time right now, but great, happy to be here. I'm doing good, Matt. Thank you for asking. It's been a stressful couple of days. Today is Wednesday, March... It's Thursday. Oh my... OMG... <laughs> What is going on? Today is Thursday, March 19th. Um, and on Monday, we found out we were going home. Yeah, we did. And it was pretty devastating. And we were panicked. Extremely. We didn't know what was happening. The peaceful yet unnamed organization was like, all right, y'all have to go home. We don't know how you're getting home. We don't know when you're getting home. But it's very important that you drive to a lab and poop in a jar on three separate days. Yeah, that was a pretty stressful moment. Yeah. And there was a little bit of miscommunication. They've consolidated all of us in Surabaya, where we're able to poop in the jar at our leisure. I said goodbye to my classes, and it was really sad. It was really sad. Yeah. But it was not a goodbye. It was see you later only. That's what I told all my students. I thought we were gone for good. But apparently we can reinstate with the peaceful yet unnamed organization and come back. Yeah, that's a possibility. So we are definitely going to close our service, but there is the possibility of going back. But we don't know because there's not complete information yet. Yeah, it was weird. We, we cried. We hit a gong. There was a weird ceremony. And because of the coronavirus, we're just hand sanitizing all day, every day. Yeah. And in fact, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a little close to you, so I'm going to move over here. That's okay. I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. Okay. Trump? Yeah. Ziad? What's up? How are y'all feeling? I mean, I know you're feeling bad and stressed, but tell me about it. Yeah, it is just an extremely wild time to be alive. These, these past four days have felt like weeks. It has been 
wild. I was thinking True. today, today I was walking to a Starbucks and I had this realization that not a week ago, I was planning for a conference with this peaceful organization, uh, with Kayla, as a matter of fact. And in that span of time, it went downhill. So it's very wild. Well, I am happy to be going home. I was sad to leave, but this is objectively a challenging job. And so, you know, getting it cut short was sad. Had to say goodbye to teachers, had to say goodbye to students, host family. But I'm also excited to go home and see family and friends after the quarantine period is over. It's gonna be cool to see loved ones and everything, but the circumstance of having to go home and be in quarantine for two weeks, I think it is, right? Two weeks? Yeah. Um, it's just very unsettling and it's just a very weird time in the US right now, at least the city that I'm going back to. Like everything's just shut down, like the city's just like not functioning. So it's gonna be very odd having that homecoming. Yeah. What mysterious city are you going back to? Um, it's called New York City. New York. Yeah. New, York, New City. York. Where is it? What state? It is in New York. The Large Apple, right? The I've heard they all call it that. Oh, the, the Large Apple. Yeah, the Large Apple. Oh, Kayla, you're from the Large Apple. Do you do I'm you live near Times Square? Do you live near Times Square? Yeah. Are you there all the time? I'm pretty close, actually. I literally saw a photo and it's empty. Times Square is just empty. It's so freaky. It's literally the end of the world. Nobody's going outside. Yeah. And my dad sent a video of Fifth Avenue, which is a fairly popular crowded street, and there's just not a soul walking down the street. Huh. It's a little ominous. Sounds super ominous. I agree. So things in Indonesia have been pretty much business as usual yeah. while all around us the Philippines are freaking out, Malaysia's freaking out, Singapore's freaking out, Korea's freaking out, Japan's freaking out. China freaked out and it worked. Like the their yeah. the number of cases in China have dropped to zero of new cases. Has it really? Yeah, the I number didn't know that. the number of new domestic cases in China now is reported to be zero. My understanding is people are going back to work in Wuhan and stuff. The one thing that selfishly is making me concerned is that we're going through this whole process of evacuating out of Indonesia, going back to the US. If there's no new cases in the next month, that would be kind of depressing to go through this whole process to like turn back around and come back to Indonesia and continue service. So you're on the side of the virus. You want more new cases no, in order to justify I definitely this. Don't. I knew it. That's that's cold and messed up, but I respect you for it. Kayla is from New York and she has an iron heart. Another it's thing true. that's crazy from the China perspective is that even in the midst of this terrible coronavirus, President Xi Jinping has maintained his 100% approval rating. Wow. <laughs> that is remarkable. Man, knocking it out of the park. Would you like to start talking about murder? Yeah, let's talk about murder most foul. Kayla and I each researched a murderer. Uh, an Indonesian murderer. An Indonesian murderer. And if you're new to the show, we don't usually talk about murder. No. But we're going to today. Who are you talking about? Okay, so Kayla? I'm talking about the black magic murderer. 
the black magic murder. Yeah. Wow. So his name is Ahmad Saraji. So this happened in 1997 in North Sumatra. There was a young farmer who was going out into the sugarcane fields. Okay. To feed his livestock. And he saw this mound of dirt. Whoa. Oh, oh, <laughs> he was very alarmed. So he went to go find his Kapaladisa. Wait, I'm sorry. He, <laughs> a mound of dirt does not sound was terribly alarmed. alarming well, to me. I mean, just imagine, like, you're going out into the Sawa. Got it. And you see a very mysterious mound of dirt. And if you were to be a person that would go out to, into the Sawa every day. Uh-huh. So a new mound of dirt. It's your Sawa. Let's... Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's just say it's... This guy it. just goes out to the sugar... It's actually sugar cane fields. Okay. And he's feeding his livestock. So I'm Got sure it. he does that many times a day, maybe. Okay. And there's a new, livestock. mysterious, alarming mound of dirt. So okay. he goes to his Kapala Desa. What's a Kapala Desa? The meaning of Kapala Desa is village head. So the village leader, and he tells the village leader about this mound of dirt, and they stick a piece of wood into it, and they are, quote, assaulted by the rancid stench of decay. Mm. Okay. Stick a piece of dirt, or stick a piece of wood in it is a nice way to say they poked it with a stick. They did. Which I'm 100% behind. Listener, if you encounter anything weird in the field, probably poking it with a stick is a really good way to see what's up. It checks out. Okay. So going. they go to the military, mm -hmm. the local military official, and they start digging. Two hours later, they discover a body. Oh my God. In the sugarcane field. Uh-huh. Um, it is the body of Sri Kamala Dewi, and they take it out of this mound, and the police are called. Her mother confirmed that it was her just by looking at her legs. She was also naked. And no one knew what had happened, but the last time they saw her was three days prior. And she was saying that she was going out to run errands. Okay. So that was the last time people saw her, or apparently people had seen her three days prior, and she said she was going to run errands. Then, after that though, a 15-year-old Bejak driver, which, listeners, if you're not sure about what a bechak is. I'm sure in previous episodes it has been explained. Yeah, but not well. What is a bechak? <laughs> so a bechak, I guess it's either motorized or non-motorized. Yeah. But it is essentially a two-wheel vehicle, either a motorbike or a bicycle. Yeah. With like a bench on the front of it. it it's pretty much a bench on two wheels and behind it is a motorcycle or a bicycle. Yeah. And it's like a taxi service. You, it can hold one or two people if you scrunch together. Right. Or I oftentimes see fruit or boxes being transported in a bay chop. And oftentimes goats. So it's a good way to get things Never around. Seen that before. Dude, I like don't live know. Live goats? Live goats. I don't know why, but Are they like tied up or yeah, just like they're, sitting in yeah, the, on they're the bench? Yeah, they're tied up. Uh sometimes they're tied up, sometimes they're just kind of sitting. Like sitting there. <laughs> yeah, there. Do you guys remember the day of the holiday where you slaughter either the cow or the goat? I believe it Eid al Adha. Eid Adha. Eid al Mubarak or was that the That's Eid al-Fitri, so Eid al-Mubarak is like happy Eid al-Fitri. Yes. Oh my gosh, of course I messed that up. But yes, I do remember the day. Okay, so there's a day where you slaughter a bunch of animals yeah. ritually, and leading up to that, there were just a lot of goats in Bechaks riding around my village, and I thought it was adorable until I realized that they were riding around to be slaughtered. Right, but so you saw the goats close to Eid al-Adha.
So a Baychok driver who's right. 15 says... He steps forward and he wants to shed light on the situation because he actually had taken Dewey on a ride to uh-huh. someone's house, but she did not disclose the destination until they were halfway there. So she pretty much got on the Spajak. He asked her where she was going. She said, just keep going. Mm-hmm. And then until they got halfway there, she explained that she wanted to go to this local shaman's house. Ah. Ahmad Siraji. The driver didn't want to be nosy, and that's why he didn't ask her what she was doing. But after the Bechak driver had stepped forward, the police, the Kabbalah Desa, the military officials, went through this shaman's house, and uh-huh. they had found all of her belongings. Oh. Yep. Following that, he was arrested. And then after four days of interrogation, he willingly disclosed he had murdered a total of 42 women. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and he buried them all in the same exact sugarcane field where Dewey was found. Oh my gosh, wait, so... So now this is the beginning of an investigation. Okay. Because they find Dewey's body originally. Uh-huh. The Baychak driver tells the officials that uh-huh. he drove her to this guy's house. Yeah. They find this guy and he pretty much just goes, yeah, I just, I killed 42 people. Okay. I don't want to defend him because it sounds like he's the villain, but I bet after four days of interrogation, I bet he didn't willingly disclose that he murdered. I was just thinking that same thing. Usually after four days of interrogation, it's not like, yeah, you got me. But it could have been like, they asked him right away, like, did you kill this woman? And he could have been right away like... Yes, I did, and I killed 42 other people, and then for four days following that, they just kept interrogating him with other questions. Is that considered an interrogation still, or more of like an interview? That would still be an interrogation. Uh, right. Yeah, okay, that's, that's fair. The reason I'm bringing this up is in the murder I was going to do, the police, and this happens in America all the time, interrogated these people for six days and they admitted to it, and then later on it turned out they didn't do it. That's true. Um, That's a good point. It's, it's a fair point. I don't know the end of the story yet, but if this guy really buried 42 women in the field, this mound Can must have been... It? Go ahead. He did definitely kill 42 women. Uh-huh. And yeah, they all were in the same area. Uh-huh. But it took days and days and days for them to uncover all the bodies. The problem is that none of the bodies were able to be identified because they were so decomposed. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they were... Many bones, many, many bones. And they were all in this one sugarcane sawa? Yeah, or at least in the near vicinity. Okay. And in fact, when they were going through the process of digging up all these remains, it kind of became this huge show because I think culturally in Indonesia, bones, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, censorship isn't really something that is enforced. Uh Uh-huh. So it's pretty common for on WhatsApp stories or something to see dead bodies. Yeah. So a lot of people wanted to see what all the commotion was about. So during the process of uncovering all these bodies, it kind of became like a big show. Yeah. And hundreds of people came to the Sawa, to the fields, uh-huh. to watch the officials digging up these bodies. Okay. So that was another thing that I thought was really interesting. I have a question. Was this a serial killer sort of situation? Yeah, I mean, he killed... Just women? 42 plus women. Yeah, that's Hear me that's out. insane. Listen to what his MO was. So, he was a self-proclaimed sorcerer. He came from Java, but this is in North Sumatra. And his father was also a shaman. And 
He was lonely and neglected as a child, apparently, according to this report. And he was a, quote, different young boy and had trouble making friends. And he didn't do well in school. So he was actually arrested, I believe, after graduating high school. He finished high school. He just got arrested. He did so badly in school, they arrested him? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. For petty crime. He got arrested for petty crime and he went to jail for maybe like 10 years, I think it is. Whoa. Yep. That's and petty, petty crimes, crime. petty crimes and public violence too. Oh man. He did 10 years and then after he was released, he got arrested again for mm-hmm. cattle theft. And there's actually a movie about this, about this whole story. Oh wow. It's a very popular Indonesian movie that came out during the same time as this investigation. And you could actually watch it on YouTube if you want to. Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I watched the whole thing. Okay. It was pretty interesting. Cool. But it's not like a documentary. It's like an actual like drama. Okay. Which I'm not sure if it's completely accurate. truthful yeah, or yeah. accurate, but very interesting movie to watch. Is your Bahasa Indonesia good enough that you could tell what was happening? Yeah, kind of. Cool. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's there. All right. That I could understand. And also half of it had subtitles in Bahasa Indonesia so I could read it. I didn't just have to listen to what people were saying. Oh yeah, saying. that's helpful. Yes. So he's arrested, goes to jail, is released, goes back to jail. And he wanted to fix his bad reputation. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to become a shaman. Like my father. <laughs> As one does. In his testimony he said, I aspired to be like my father. He did not learn sorcery from anyone else but his father, is what he said. So he began okay. this journey of sorcery, and he was known in the community as Datu Maringi, and all the locals believed that he had this power, especially for women, to help women find husbands, help women, if their husbands were cheating, to do something to the husband, I guess, um, heal the sick, things like that. In 1986, his father appeared to him in a dream, and told him to become a shaman, and that in order to become more powerful as a shaman, uh-huh. he had to find women and drink their saliva. Wait, okay, he had to find women, drink their saliva, and sorry, his father appeared to him in a dream? Was his so, father yeah. dead, or just I talking his, to him in a dream? I guess his father had already died. Okay. So, Saraji has this dream, his father appears to him, and his father was a shaman also. Okay. So the father appears to him in, in the dream, and he says, you need to drink the saliva of, I think it was 70 women, okay. or around that, in order to... <laughs> the dream wasn't very specific. The dream was like, listen, just keep kira, going. Kira, 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 70 women. When you hit 70, if you feel it, you can stop. If you know you have to keep going, keep going a little bit. Right, so... Okay. If you drink the saliva of women, you're going to become a more powerful healer and a more powerful shaman. Okay. So he, he believes this, what his father is saying in his dream. Okay. But he goes even further by killing the women to get their saliva easier. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So that his father didn't specifically tell him to kill women. Yeah. His father in the dream told him to drink the saliva of these women. Okay. I'm... But he took it a step further and was like... I'll just kill them. That, to me, that doesn't... First off, that's morally reprehensible. Second off, I don't think that makes it easier. Like, me, all things being equal, if I was like... If I gotta get the saliva of 70 women, I wouldn't kill anybody. I'd get people to spit. Yeah, I'd be like, can you spit in this cup? Yeah, that's true. So the way he did this was that he, like I said, he was known around town to be a healer for, especially for women, to help women with relationship problems. I'm sorry, what what year was he caught? 
1997 was when the first body was found. Dweeb That's body. disturbingly recent. So he went for a few decades for from the 80s until the 90s. I don't know if he was still killing up until he got caught. Or I guess he was because... They found Dewey, him. Yeah. Three days earlier. Three days earlier. Um, so the way he would lure in these young women was that he actually had three wives. And he pretty much used the wives to spread this information that he was a fantastic healer and he would help all these women with all their problems um people also thought that he could change the weather things like that he also had a ritual to make women more attractive and just overall more liked by men he also would charge them between 200 us dollars and 400 us dollars for his services which i thought was interesting yeah that's a lot here that's like three to six juta I think so. It's a lot. For some people, it's like a month's salary. Right. So he would continually try to lure people in, but if he had like a dry period where no one would come, he would also hire sex workers to come and he would kill them too. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. You might explain this later. So his wives were in on it. Yeah. Okay. However, which I was going to let you know later on, only one of them gets charged. The other two never are charged or go to jail or anything only one of them goes to jail wow so the way that he would do these rituals because he would do it the same way every time he killed he would lure them out into the field and he would tell them that this was all part of the ritual that he was about to perform they didn't think they were going to get killed he would dig a hole so that they would have to stand in the hole waist deep Mm -hmm. do it so that they couldn't escape from this hole so they're in the field only their waist is shown just their torso up then he would strip them naked, strangle, or he would strangle them first, kill them. Oh my God. Get the saliva, then strip them naked and bury them. And this is something that's also kind of freaky because he thought it would give him an extra magical boost. Uh-huh. He always made their heads point in the same direction towards his house. Yeah, that's, that qualifies as freaky. Yeah. That qualifies as freaky. So, um, they don't know if he would drink their saliva before or after they were killed, but he definitely drank the saliva of these victims. Do you think he would, like, get a glass and drink the saliva, or do you think he would, like... Dude, I don't know. Probably a, a glass. Um, that seems pretty disturbing to me. The whole thing's disturbing. It's very disturbing. But I, I can't... I know I've already... I don't want to harp on this point too much. It'd be like if... It was like, my dad came to me in a dream. My dad's alive and well, but some, he might communicate with me by dream and being like, Matt, you got to eat 40 hamburgers and you're going to be like so handsome. You got to eat 40 hamburgers. So I'm like, okay. So you then wouldn't I like, murder. And then I go into a burger. 40 hamburgers. Yeah. I wouldn't go into a Burger King, kill all the employees and steal their hamburgers. That's true. I'd just buy the burgers. So this guy. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. This guy had a lot of alternatives. Listener, if your dad comes to you in a dream and says you have to ingest fluids, first off, make sure it's really your dad, okay? Might be somebody else, might be an imposter, check for a mask. Second off, is is your dad's advice really legit? Are eating these fluids going to help you? Or is it a ruse? Maybe you should think it through a little bit. Think it through a little bit, listener. Yeah. That's all we're saying. So, I had already explained... It became this whole commotion, this whole thing in the in the community. Everyone was showing up. They dig up all the bodies, so they find 41 different 
remains of different individuals. Oh my god. And using the remains, the bones that they find, they can confirm that they're all females and young women. Um, Sarajji gets arrested. He admits to everything. He explained that he would have his wives help him with burying them without any... If he buried them without any clothes, their bodies would decompose faster. So that was his reasoning behind stripping them. And then after they would have the clothes, he would save them too, some of them. His wife, Tumini, also got arrested because she was an accomplice. So that's pretty much it. He just like admits to it. Uh huh. I guess he goes to trial soon after that and he's jailed, but he actually did not get, um, what's the word? Convicted? No, what's the word when they kill you? Executed? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> executed. <laughs> he didn't get executed until 2008. Okay. So that's over a decade yeah. of this whole thing being dragged on. Um, okay. And he's killed by firing squad in 2008. Which in Indonesia, capital punishment is still a thing. Uh huh. Um, which at the time, back in two thousand eight, an organization, Amnesty International, was actually fighting for him to not be killed. This was one of their cases. They were trying to fight for him not to be killed because they're trying to oppose yeah. capital punishment in Indonesia. So yeah, many of the remains are still unaccounted for. They don't know who the victims all are, which is pretty unsettling, especially for the families of those victims. I had already explained there was a movie made about this. Do you know the name of the movie? I do. It's called Dukun A.S. I don't know what A.S. stands for. Okay. What's but Dukun? Dukun is the name for shaman. Oh, shaman. Or priest okay. or something like that. Right. Um, he also explained in another confession that the murders were an easy way to make money because, like I said, he had charged them. And he said if he just robbed people, he would get shot or get put in jail, but he would take their money and kill them and he would get the extra magical boost from their saliva. So for him, it was worth it. Okay. So I have different information from different articles, but when he was jailed, I don't know if he was Muslim before or while he was a shaman uh -huh. or until he was jailed, but he wanted to convert to Islam. And when he was originally put into jail, he kind of became like this special religious figure for all the inmates in the jail. Like all the inmates like looked up to him for advice. Oh my gosh. So he kept his patriarchal shamanly duties. Yeah. While in jail after killing 42 women. Yeah. And this is actually a pretty popular story in Indonesia. Uh -huh. If you were to ask an Indonesian that was alive at the time during this, they would probably say that they remember this story. Um, he actually even got like celebrity status, like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people know about him and that's that. Okay. That was great. Yeah, Kayla. And that's thanks. the story of the black magic murderer. I hope I did it justice. Yeah. I mean, the bar is real low for this podcast. That's true. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs>Really good job telling that story. Thanks. I, I liked the way it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. So we're gonna give the listener kind of the other uh, side of that because I didn't really do my homework. That's okay. Uh, my murder is about another shaman. Really? We yep. both did shamans. We both did shamans, also from the island of Java, and his That's name so is. Dimas Kanjeng Ta'at Pribadi, or better known as Dimas Kanjeng. Okay, I want to talk about names in Indonesia for a little bit. Some names are very long, like Dimas Kanjeng Ta'at Pribadi. 
some names like my Bopak, <laughs> my former Bopak, because no. we're going home. His name is just Umarok. That's it. He has one name. It seems like there's no, not that there's no structure, but uh-huh. it's like if you want one name, that's fine. You get one name. If you want a long name, long yep. name. There's no first, middle, last name. Nope. There's no first, middle, last name. There's no family names. Like right. you won't have this, any of the same names as your father or mother, which to me seems confusing. And I just don't, I just don't get how in a country of 200 million people, you can get away with just having one name, <laughs> like Umarok. Like, what if there's another Umarok? <laughs> but they make it work. So I don't know how names work in Indonesia. When you were doing your research, did you find any English sources? Or did you have to it translate? It was all in English. It was all in English. Yeah, because I literally Googled worst serial killers in Indonesia uh-huh, uh-huh. in English. And there were actually a lot of articles in English, specifically from different American, British media. For this guy, I couldn't find anything in English. So you found everything in Bahasa Indonesia? Uh-huh. Read it in Bahasa Indonesia? No, I Google Translate. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but, but it's, it's wonky. Google Translate isn't perfect. <laughs> and um, I'm not perfect either, listener. So here we go. Dimas Kanjeng is from Provolingo. You ever been to Provolingo? Interesting. No, I haven't, but okay. that's okay. He also is a Javanese shaman who was taught by a shaman before him. Let's back up and talk about shamanism in Indonesia. Okay. My exposure to it is mostly with the Kuda Kapang, which is, I don't know if your school ever had a carnival or your village had a carnival where people ride fake horses wear these elaborate costumes. Have you seen this before? I have. I didn't know that was what it was called though. It's called Kuda Kapang, which means flat horse. And there's music. And in my village, there was a guy with a whip who would pretend to or almost whip the people while they did this dance. And what is supposed to happen, and I was told this by many, many people in my village, like really proudly about like, oh, this is so amazing. Look at this spectacle. Demons possess the people. So it doesn't hurt them when they're whipped. They can walk on hot coals and they can eat glass. So they can- Eat glass? Eat glass. I didn't see it in my village, but on YouTube, you can see people just taking, you know, those long um, fluorescent lights that are like long, right. they'll just grab those and just <laughs> just chow down on them. Big but old bite of a, a light bi- bulb. A, a big old bite of a light bulb and you just chew it and swallow it and walk on hot coals. I did see people in my village getting whipped. Okay. And it looked, I- it, Painful. It, yeah, it, it was terrifying, um, but they don't feel it because they're possessed by a demon. And if the dancers act up, or like start walking out of the parade route, the whip person will whip them to get back in line. And then you have to take certain measures to like get the demon out of the person. And then there's a whole process. There's a whole process. And then you fall back kind of like at a Pentecostal church where when the Lord comes on, you fall back and then you come to your senses. So there's this whole process kind of similar to like an exorcism. It is, but you invite the demon in 
And my BAPAC was like, I actually arranged for one of these festivals, but I wouldn't do it again because it's dangerous because right. what if the demon doesn't leave? That's my exposure to shamanism. So I looked this up and okay. there's actually a stat. There was a research done um, asking- A Muslim. research? There was research done. Okay. There was a research done. Okay. And <laughs> there was a survey asking Muslims around different countries about their belief in witchcraft, in evil eye, mm -hmm. and for witchcraft, 69% of Indonesians believe in the existence of witchcraft, or witches, ghosts, uh -huh. demons, that whole thing. Okay. Um, what is it from other countries if you have that info? In Thailand, it's 17%. Okay. In Malaysia, it's 49%. In Indonesia, it's pretty high which in Islam, witchcraft is prohibited. Islam in, in Java especially, I feel like is very unique because there's a lot of aspects of traditional Javanese culture mixed in with it. So this yes. is one of those things that a lot of people in Indonesia, despite how devout they are in their faith, they still have these beliefs because of deeply rooted cultural beliefs mm -hmm. from before Islam came to Indonesia. Yes. Um, so a lot of people still rely on shamans or leader type people for guidance and for help and for if they're sick for something like that so yeah it is interesting to see the syncretism of being both a very very devout muslim but also organizing a party where the entertainment is people being possessed by demons right. and and you can do those things as long as you're careful um, there was actually a witch hunt in Banyuwangi in East Java in 1997, and there uh -huh. were hundreds of people killed. Oh my um, god. For being suspected of witchcraft. There also is a story from a former volunteer who has already returned home. They served a few years ago, uh -huh. and apparently, this volunteer went camping with other friends in the woods and was followed by a ghost back to her home. Uh -huh. was feeling sick and felt like someone was watching her. So her ibu consulted a shaman. The shaman confirmed that she was followed home by a ghost uh -huh. and performed a ritual for the ghost to leave her alone. Okay. Yeah. But no one died in that one. No, no that's, one was murdered. That's good. No happy. saliva involved, no murders. Okay. That's a happy outcome. So tell me more about this guy. This guy was a shaman and he studied under another shaman. His special power was controlling the weather. Also, he had the ability to double, triple, 10 times old people's money. So what you would do is you would give him an envelope with 10,000 rupiah in it. He would pray and he would sit down on a fancy, you know those like fancy puffy chairs that people have in their houses? Like an upholstered chair. Right. He would sit on an upholstered chair and pray, rock back and forth, reach behind him and pull out an envelope and <laughs> that envelope would have 100,000 rupiah in it. Interesting. So people would give him money, he would pray, reach behind him, and then give them more money. So what, he had another envelope already prepared and would do kind of a little switcheroo? The unbeliever might say he had another envelope prepared and would do a switcheroo, but it wasn't just money. He could produce jewelry, watches, bags of soup. What? 
all sorts. Bags of soup? Bags of soup. You know, boxo in a bag. Yeah, notice you didn't say cans of soup because most liquid things in Indonesia they are served in, in a plastic bag. That's exactly right. So and bags of soup. Bags of soup. Other foods, other snacks. Um, in bags. Yeah, just in regular containers. And just whatever. But the big thing, obviously, was money. And if you go to YouTube and type in Dimas Kanjeng, you can see him reach behind him. And oh, so you can see him actually doing it. You can see him actually doing it, just throwing money and coins and everything on the ground. Wait, when is this? What year is this? He was active as a shaman, money doubler, and leader of his boarding school and hermitage from 2000 to 2016. He gained popularity by doubling people's money to the point where there's an entire kampung for him. There's an what? entire pondok. There's an entire school that people go to. They view him as a religious leader and people live in the village and send their kids to study there. It's called Kampung Dimas Kanjeng. Like it's his This is village. in Java. This is in Probolingo. Oh my gosh, the so city close. north of Mount Bromo. You can still go there today and see it. But we haven't gotten to the murder part yet. Right. Turns out this guy wasn't actually doubling people's money. What he was doing was a Ponzi scheme. Kayla, do you know what a Ponzi scheme is? Would you mind explaining to me? I would not mind explaining it to you. A Ponzi scheme works like this. It's named after some guy named Ponzi. I, it doesn't matter. A Ponzi scheme works like this. Kayla, do you want to double your money? Of course I do. Okay, give me $5 today. I'll give you $10 tomorrow. Deal. Okay, Kayla gives me my $5. I give her $10 tomorrow. She's super happy. She tells her friends about it and they give me money too and then I give them back $10. Word gets out that there's this guy who can double your money in a day and millions of people come to give me their money and I use that money to pay back the earlier people and as long as I keep getting money coming in to pay off the earlier people, I keep getting money. But once Kayla or the followers of Dimas Kanjang or the followers of Bertie Madoff know that it's a sure thing because they've gotten paid out enough or they've heard good references, they leave their money there so it can just grow and grow and grow and grow and then you accumulate a bunch of money or Rolexes or presumably bags of soup or whatever you're trying to double. So eventually two of his followers slash employees because he's both a shaman leader and the head of this entire compound figure out that he does not have magic powers and they try to get their money back. He hired someone to murder them. Okay. That's all I know. That's all I could find. You don't know who? No. Okay. Well, what happens to this guy? Okay, what happens to this guy? He hired someone to murder them, and then they hid the bodies. He's still doing his thing where... Um... Wait, he's still doing his thing now? Let me finish. Oh, sorry. Sorry, in the past, he's still doing his thing. He's still doing his thing then. Eventually, 
in September 2016. Wait, this is very recent. This is so recent. They raided his compound and he in was Probolingo. in Probolingo. It was hundreds of police officers because he had so many followers. No one was killed when the police came in, but the police here don't mess around. They carry like submachine guns and look intimidating as butt. It's true. It's kind of scary when you're just in the train station and then you look over and see a guy in full bulletproof vest holding a submachine gun. I can confirm. I've seen a police officer and I have been intimidated as butt for yeah. sure. Um, but they go in, they capture him from out of his followers, try him. He's convicted of murder, sentenced to 19 years. That's a very random number. Yeah. it's. I never understand like sentences. Like, sentences. like why is it su such a weird number? Why don't they just do 20? I, I don't know. Um, like most things in Indonesia, I don't understand what's happening. That's okay. Uh, later, some people tried to get their money back and two years was added on to that. So then it became 21 years. Okay. Many of the people left his compound. However, some people still believe in him and believe that he's being unjustly persecuted. They still keep his school going. They still keep his compound going to the point where he petitioned to be let out to attend his daughter's wedding. And they let him out. I was gonna say. Yeah. Of course, he got let out to go to his his daughter's wedding. Yeah. That's pretty reasonable. You gotta go to your yeah, daughter's you wedding. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta leave. And for that. and and you know everyone was excited to see him, and he did the wedding stuff, and then he went back to jail. So is there? Sorry, is there someone like his right hand man who's doing the same exact who, thing, like doubling the money? Going it. As far as I know, no. He was the only person who that had could the sit power. In the chair, who could do the sit thing. in the chair and produce money, soup, Rolexes. But um, someone's still running this Kampung Com area. Kampung Dimas Kanjen. Gotcha. You can still go there and like people live there. I don't know if they're still keeping the traditions of Ponzi scheme alive, but there are still people who follow him. And he's still in jail today. And that's the abbreviated story of Dimas Kanjan. So he will get out in 19 minus four. This was in 2016, right? Yeah, he went to jail in 2016. So he'll be out in 15 years then. Yeah. I bet you he'll just go right back to doubling money in, in his chair. If you can get arrested and convicted of two murders and um, some people, he did get charged and convicted of stealing like 50 million rupiah from Sheesh. one person, 40 million from another person. It seems like if people stand by him through that, they will stand by him uh, up to the point where he gets out. Gotcha. Well, thank you for telling me that story. Also, it's pretty interesting that we both did a story about a shaman yeah. murdering someone. Yeah. This, I guess, to is cover a pretty common theft. thing. Interesting. Listener, I guess if someone offers to double your money, don't. Don't I do it. I guess not. Or maybe do some research. And if someone first. says, take off your clothes and get in this hole... Also, also don't. And if your dad tells you to take the saliva of other women, maybe think it through and not kill them. Yeah, think it through. If you can get the saliva other ways, you don't have to kill anyone. No. Kayla, I'm glad we got to do this. We're flying back to the United States we tomorrow. Are. It's been a pleasure, Bones. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Obviously, I'll talk to you. Yeah, when we I wish you the States. best. This is the last episode in Indonesia for now. Yeah, okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye.